Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps Americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority. We are very excited about this episode because if you are a regular listener, you know that for like a few weeks, we've been saying, no, seriously, we are going to get to your voicemails and we're excited about it. And today we're going to get to your voicemails. You've left us some great ones and we are excited to just go through and just start solving your problems. Whatever problems you throw at us, we're going to solve them. So, Ravi, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. This first uh, voicemail, which I, frankly, have been excited about us addressing since I heard it a, a few days ago, comes from someone very close to us. Hi, Rob. It's Mom. I was listening to your podcast, and when you were talking about moderate Democrats being Republicans, that's not true. So I consider myself to be a moderate Democrat, and I'm not a Trump supporter, you know that, and not a Republican. So stop it. Bye. All right, Jason. Well, first of all, this is an actual voicemail I received. This is not one that somebody sent in uh, using our voicemail line for Majority 54. This is a message my mom sent me, I think, while she was driving to go visit my brother in North Carolina. So I want to say a couple of things here. Number one, I think my mom understandably just missed the point about me talking about dating apps. So like this was, she probably has blocked out that whole part of my life and just refuses to acknowledge. <laughs> I was wondering exists. like how yeah. she, but that makes sense. She's not going to think about that part. Yeah. yeah. She just won't acknowledge it. But for listeners who didn't hear the episode that she's referring to, I was talking about how when somebody in a, in a city like New York puts on their dating app that they are moderate, I was saying that means that they're not actually moderate, they're Republican. I think my mom thought I was saying that all moderates are Republicans. Now, there's actually a really important discussion here, which is moderate. Like, I think some people uh, who who do associate themselves as, as moderates or identify as moderates feel that they're attacked often. Um, and I think this is a super interesting conversation and they often feel like they don't have a place within the party. What I find fascinating is that a lot of our friends on the more left side of the aisle feel like they are not represented in the party and they feel attacked all the time. Uh, but let's talk about this moderate label. Jason, is there a place for moderates in our politics today? Well, yeah. I mean, I think there's a place for anybody in the party so long as their views are genuinely held or there should be. I should say there should be a place. and. Also, we should keep in mind that like moderate in one place means one thing or in one context means another. Like, I don't know your mom. I've, I've not met your mom, but I feel like through social, I know your mom a little. And and also she, just she through talks your about anecdotes. You. She talks about yeah, you. Yeah, I feel yeah. like we know each other. But I'm and so I'm I'm confident in saying that, like, 
while your mom might be a moderate Democrat in New York City, she's probably seen as like pretty liberal where I live, right? So yeah. like, that. So there's a spectrum here, and on top of that, moderate has also in in another context taken on this whole other meaning where like like if you look at the Republican Party, moderate seems to mean like doesn't want to burn everything to the ground, right? Like like a, at this point, a moderate Republican is probably not a Republican who's like actual policy views differ from other Republicans. It's just a Republican, like it's like somebody who's like, well, there are some things government should do well, <laughs> you right. know, like, right. and so it, the, the, the word is constantly changing. And sometimes it means like in our party, sometimes it means like, I, I think incorrectly am sometimes called a moderate. And I think that the reason I get called that, I mean, like I'm for universal healthcare and all this stuff have been for a long time, single payer and all that. And I think it's because I am somebody who I, I am less likely to use really harsh rhetoric, right? Yeah. Like, like I am somebody who like, I, I believe all these liberal things, but I'm also going like, and we need to convince Republicans, right? <laughs> you know? And so then that makes, to some people that makes me a moderate. So. Yeah. I get accused sometimes of being moderate, but I, I identify more as a politically eclectic, you know, it's like some of my views could be viewed as centrist. And and I and I would disagree with the characterization. A good example is charter schools. Like I feel like that is a fairly revolutionary approach. Uh, but then there are other views I have. Like for instance, I think that like private schools should pay taxes if they don't have a certain representative student body, or like that we should severely regulate factory farms that would put me on the far left. So it's like I have a complicated set of views, and I think a lot of Americans do, and they don't know how to categorize themselves in this environment that's so polarized, and they certainly don't have a welcome party on the right. Uh, and I think for my mom, she's one of these people, and she'll smack me maybe for saying this, but she's like a small C conservative in the sense that she lives in the same place that <laughs> she, she grew up. I think up. she's going to be very upset, but keep yeah, going. <laughs> no, no. But like, but, and, and I honestly, I have a little bit of this in me too, which is like, I like routine. Uh, it takes me a second to get used to change. Uh, I get this from her. Um, and she is, she is, hundred percent her. So she's more like this. And, you know, she lives in the same community she grew up in. Like if the parade in July 4th doesn't happen in Travis at the exact same way, it's always happened. She gets upset. So like, she's one of those people who both has a huge heart and, and wants, she's a, she's a generous person who believes in a lot of liberal ideals, but at the same time, like she needs, she needs you to walk her through the change that's happening in her life because she's somebody who just, who, who who is used to a certain like way of life and a, and a certain community and a certain culture. And I think that there are a lot of people out there like that who, who want to do right by people and who actually want to embrace change, but need a little help getting there. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I also, I just, I don't think we should end this portion without appreciating the direct New York nature of that voicemail and that it ended with stop it. <laughs> yeah, I get a lot of those that will, yet you'll never hear. But yeah, she has a people often hear her accent and then they hear mine. And I'm like, what the hell? Uh, <laughs> you know, there was a day when I had an accent like that, but I guess all my fancy Ivy League education and, and time spent away from New York City uh, has has kind of ironed like it out. A decade out. running around the South or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so it's just it. ironed it out to an American accent now. <laughs> All right, Ravi, this next one is from somebody who's trying to figure out whether to continue to try to get her sister to do the right thing. Hi, uh, my name is Erin. I'm calling from Ohio. 
Um, I have a sister. She's a very conservative Republican who's basically just at this point a Fox News parrot. She lives in another state. I only see her like once a month or so, but we typically just completely avoid discussing politics whatsoever because we know we're not going to agree. So we just don't want to get into an argument and we just leave it at that. But both she and her husband are unvaccinated and they have three small children under four at home. And she's going out and living her life like nothing like COVID never happened. She's not masking. She's going out in big group gatherings to church and things like that without a mask. And when I try to pick up, you know, bring up getting vaccinated to her, she'll just toss Fox News talking points at me. Even once I've explained, you know, those people are all vaccinated. Those people got vaccinated before a lot of us got vaccinated. She doesn't care. And she's actually started calling the masking requirements for places like New York City where like restaurants and um, Broadway and things like that. She's calling that segregation, which it absolutely is not. Is it even worth me trying to continue to get through to her at this point? And how would I even do that? At some point, is there a point where you just consider someone too far gone to even continue trying to figure out how to break through to them? Because at this point, that's where I'm at. And I'm trying to like preserve the relationship that we have without getting too like, damaged. Thanks. Any help you guys can give would be great. I appreciate it. Love the show. Thanks. Ravi, I'm sure you have an easy answer to this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll just say that I sympathize. Longtime listeners will know I've stopped speaking to my own father because of I, I've come to a similar determination that he is too far gone in his views and 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 there are other problems, but the biggest is that, you know, stemming from the insurrection, I just I couldn't take it anymore. And and I knew that there was no daylight. There was no possibility of changing his views. And I think about that decision often, but I haven't I haven't come to an alternative to just walking away. And I think in this case, I would just define your goal. Like my goal might be different than yours. In your case, I I would ask, are you attempting to persuade them to protect themselves? Or are you worried that they're going to infect you or the people you care about that you've taken steps to protect? Uh, Because if it's to protect themselves, like and if you if you're worried about them making bad decisions for their own health, I think inherent in that is that you care a lot about them, and that I think is a starting point for maybe what you could say, which is like instead of being like Anthony Fauci said X, Y, and Z, or getting angry at them for like their irrationality or being brainwashed, et cetera, I would just be like, look, I care about you. Um, I want you to be safe. We have a different view of what it means to be safe. And so I hope you make the right decision and, and I I don't have the energy or the wherewithal to convince you. Otherwise, I just I just want you to know I'm worried about you. Yeah, no, I think approaching it with love is the only way to go. I mean, it is your sister. I uh I had a conversation with somebody in my in my world, not in my family, but in my world uh in the last week, where I had to talk to them two things happened um recently, which is one, we found out that somebody that we do know that we're close to who's around our age, who was unvaccinated is as, as of this moment, um, on a ventilator and, you know, it's a very sad situation. The kids having to come in and, uh, say their goodbyes and that kind of thing. And we don't know exactly which way it's going to go, but it doesn't look good. So I brought that up to another person in my life who doesn't know that person, but brought it up to say, Hey, I want you to reconsider this. We had it back and forth. They feel it doesn't sound like maybe quite as strongly, but pretty close to as strongly as as Aaron's sister. And there were two things that at least got them to promise me they would 
think about it some more. The first was I made the point about if people aren't vaccinated, the next variant, right? Like how fortunate we've been so far. Now, like, obviously, granted in this is you have to be talking to somebody who actually believes that science is a thing worth discussing and thinks it's a real thing. In my case, I was talking to somebody who does think science is real and is sort of like, look, this thing is untested and that kind of stuff. And so I'm saying to them, well, okay, consider it this way. Let's say it's untested. Let's say there are some side effects. I don't agree that there are, but if there are, you will experience those down the line. But in the meantime, if people don't get vaccinated, we're going to have additional variants. And who knows if the echo variant or the Fox variant is really, really deadly to children. Like, that's why we all have to worry about it. That they kind of at least couldn't say, like, anything really awful about that. But then the other thing was, I just kind of made a practical argument, which was, look, for this person, I was able to say, for your work, you need to be able to go places. And the world is changing. And you're going to end up in a place where no matter what I think about this, the world is not going to let you go places and enjoy the world. And it's just, it's just going to be very impractical and very inconvenient for you. Yeah. Um, that actually, they were like, that is something I'm going to have to consider. Yeah, that was the most successful argument I've used with a few people in my life that were unvaccinated is I said something very similar, which is like, I said, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, I said, I believe independently that this vaccine is in your best interest, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But more importantly, I think that you have a lot of goals. So you want to go to concerts, you want to travel. And in order to do that, you're going to need that vaccine. And I want that for you. So I hope you you, you figure that out, you know, and she did. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think it's necessarily going to be that easy, but I think the less you get angry and upset in front of them, the better chance you get, because I think that anger only triggers people to dig in more. And so I think if you're a little bit nonchalant about it, even if in your heart you're you're actually really stirred up over it, but if you're like, look, like I want this for you, I'm not going to do the work for you. I'm not going to try to convince you. I just care about you and I want you to be safe and I want you to be able to travel and enjoy a lot of things that I'm enjoying right now and I hope you make the right decision. Yeah, and I would just add the way you just did that is the right way. A delicate balance like not nonchalant like you don't care. Yeah. But but like I care, but I'm not we're not going to fight about it. You know, right, cuz they like, want to own the libs, right? That's what they want. Right, they want to exactly. stir you up like and then, you know, their 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 vision of the vaccine crowd, which is us, is that we're so motivated to, you know, fill in the blank, you know, right. like modify their DNA, you know, mind control, you know, whatever. Like we're so motivated for whatever crazy shit that's going around the internet that we just can't help ourselves from inserting ourselves into their lives. So I think the more you're just cool about it and you're like, yeah, I care, but I'm not going to go overboard about this. I think it will, it will at least break their stereotype. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you've definitely heard us talk about how much we love our Helix mattresses. Well, Helix just launched a new company called Allform and they're making the best sofas around. Allform is awesome because you could just customize your sofa at a fraction of the cost and you could pick your fabric, like spill, stain, or scratch resistant, the fabric color, the color of the legs, the sofa size, and shape and everything. You know, I was able to get a chair for my apartment that perfectly matched the other chairs that I have. 
Yeah, we got a uh, like a sofa that now sits in our kitchen, and we've now gotten into a routine where every morning I make a bottle for Bella. Diana sits on that couch, feeds Bella that bottle, and as soon as her stomach, her little tummy is full, she just gives me the biggest smile from that uh, from that sofa. So I'm I'm loving all form for giving us those smiles. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com/majority54. Allform is offering twenty percent off all orders for our listeners at allform.com/majority54. Jason, I made a big mistake this morning. Tell me. I left my house today without taking athletic greens, and it's just been brutal. Was there a hurricane or a flood or an earthquake? Like, what in the world would possess you to do such a thing? I just think it was a sense of misplaced priorities, and I, I'm never going to do it again. You know, I'll be honest, you don't look well. And Jason, I don't feel well either. Um, and it just underscores how important athletic greens are because it's a daily all-in-one superfood powder and is by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your health routine today while avoiding the need to take multiple pills or complex routines. And right now, Athletic Greens is offering our audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. If you visit our link today, you'll basically never have to buy vitamin D again. Simply visit athleticgreens.com majority and join health experts, athletes, and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com majority and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Ravi, this next one is about infrastructure. Hi there. Um, my name is Tanya. With this whole bill, this bipartisan bill, there are some things that I really don't understand how we are kind of allowing. I mean, I know we have to make some concessions, but, you know, I saw that um, there's like $25 billion in subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. Um, there's like they're green lighting the, the line three tar sands pipeline. Uh, the Willow Project, and the Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline. I just really don't understand how we can still be funding these things and trying to be bipartisan about these things when climate is obviously such a huge crisis <laughs> that is that we can't keep on making concessions for. So I would love to just kind of talk about this bipartisan deal. Like, I understand that there's some good in it, but I just really hate that we constantly have to make and like all these concessions for the planet. I just think it's terrible. Thank you so much. Bye. All right, Ravi, bipartisanship, what is it good for? Well, I think there are a few things to keep in mind here. Number one is that there is another bill that is very possible in reconciliation that in all likelihood will and certainly could include way more funding for the kind of climate infrastructure and incentives for cleaner technologies than what was in this bipartisan bill. So I would I would withhold some judgment until that bill is passed. Second is that even this bill had some good stuff in it. There was $5 billion for electric charging stations, $50 billion for climate resiliency funding, um, around $500 million to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration to improve forecasts for flooding and wildfires, $3.5 billion for FEMA. Um, in part to help better respond to floods. So there was some good stuff, but you point out some stuff in there that was questionable. I would say that some of this was really hard to figure out, but I would say that one of the biggest criticisms that I found from climate activists is that they, they're they calling a portion of this subsidies that are actually incentives to scale carbon capture technology. And it's being categorized in part as subsidies because carbon capture is technology that in part fossil fuel companies will use to prevent 
carbon from hitting the atmosphere, right? And so that money would in in potentially go to carbon to to fossil fuel companies to implement that so-called clean technology. Now this is a murky super confusing area because there are competing claims being made. There's a claim that carbon capture is a uh, completely ineffective technology and we're, we're just handing over money to the fossil fuel company as like a ruse to help them continue polluting. That is a, certainly a claim that's being made. But there are also really credible figures in the the climate change activism uh, and, and, and super strong you know, activists and entrepreneurs who are trying to build cleaner technologies who are saying that carbon capture is essential, including the the IPCC, which is like the big international organization that is trying to motivate governments to take action on climate change. They say that carbon capture has to be a part of the solution if we're going to uh, avert disaster. And Carbon 180, which is a, a company and organization that's that's mission is to to help push for carbon uh, removal from the atmosphere and carbon capture made a very forceful statement in support of this bill. So I think it's complicated and I, and I don't think it's as evil as some people are saying it is. I'm it certainly could be better, but it's not it's not something in the grand scheme of terrible things that happen in the climate world, something I would lose a lot of sleep over. What I would add is that when it comes to bipartisanship generally, anytime you do any sort of bipartisan legislation when you are in either in the majority or the minority, you're going to find some stuff really frustrating. So then the question is, what's the overall value of being bipartisan when you're in the majority? And the answer to that is, this is probably not the only thing you want to get done. And there's going to be stuff that you're absolutely not going to get done, especially with the makeup of the Senate without being bipartisan. And in that case, I don't even mean without Republican votes. I mean, without votes from two Democratic senators who insist on bipartisanship. So you've got to be able to say like, look, we did this. It was bipartisan. We need you to be there for us on this other thing. And so it has, it has, you know, in it indirect value in that way. And I guess if you want to take solace in something, take solace in the fact that there's a whole lot of stuff that Ravi just mentioned that, frankly, Republicans are probably like, can you believe they want us to vote yes on this bill that has this stuff in it? And there's probably more, there's definitely more of that uh, for them than there is uh, the same feeling for our side. And that's that's a win. My, my sense is energy is probably best place ensuring that the reconciliation has the stuff you want in it versus trying to remove all the things you don't like from this bill. Just just based on like the raw politics of the situation. When Simply Safe Home Security's founders, Chad and Eleanor Lawrence, designed their first security system in their kitchen, they did it for a very personal reason. Their friends had just gotten their homes broken into, and they were struggling to find a security system that was simple to set up and would make them feel safe again. Making people safe is what Simply Safe has been doing ever since that moment 15 years ago. And I've been using it for my apartment in New York City and I've been recommending it to friends who are in cities and suburbs and even in rural areas. And I use Simply Safe and and their system is just so easy to set up and I just love the peace of mind it gives me. And the thing is, Simply Safe just makes it so easy. It takes about 2 minutes to customize a system on their website. And so just go to simplysafe.com slash majority54. Simply Safe has highly trained security experts ready whenever you need them, whether that's during a fire, a burglary, a medical emergency, or even just when you're setting the system up. There's always someone who's there to have your back and keep you safe and make sure that you feel safe. 
As a listener, you get 20% off on your Simply Safe security system and get your first month free when you sign up for the interactive monitoring service. Just visit simplysafe.com slash majority54 to customize your system and start protecting your home and family. That's simplysafe.com slash majority54. Ravi, next question is about inflation. Hey, Jason and Ravi. Uh, love the show. Appreciate all that you do. Uh, so the question I've got is about the economy. So one of the conversations I've had with family members is about the economy um, and how much the stimulus and infrastructure bill and all this kind of stuff, uh, the money goes to and how that inf- impacts inflation. And for them, it's a uh, looked at as a negative. Um, and so I don't really know what to respond with that. Um, here in Spokane, Washington, where I'm at, uh, prices of houses are going way up like crazy. Rent is really, really high. Um, and so they argue that that's because of um, inflation that is happening because of government spending. Uh, so just wondering what you would say about that. Um, and even though here I am in Spokane, uh, I got to say it, go Royals. Thank you. All right. I like this fella. Ravi, before you say a bunch of really smart stuff, let me tee this up with one of my folksy anecdotes, um, which is that probably a lot of people are thinking, oh, well, I mean, does the argument of inflation really move voters and do people really buy that? I specifically remember in 2016 when I was running for the Senate, I was in, I don't remember what county it was, but I was in a, in a pretty rural area, not fully rural, but a pretty rural area in Missouri. And I was in the parking lot of a Hardee's and I was talking to three guys who were all showing up for like their second job. So to pick a, pick up a shift for their second job, one of them like may have had three jobs. I can't remember. And we start talking and we start talking about minimum wage. And I start talking about how I think the minimum wage has got to go up. I mean, these guys were literally going into a, a shift where they were probably some of them about to make minimum wage or a little above. And they were all shaking their heads. No. And I was like, what? You don't agree? And they're like, man, you raise the minimum wage. <clears throat> Everything's going to cost more. We're not going to be able to afford anything. And that's when I realized that the reason the Republicans are always talking about this is because people do buy it. And it is an answer to the question of how do they get people to vote against their own economic interest. So with that, make us smarter. <laughs> well, I would I would start with the fact that uh, in March, April, and May of 2020, we saw one of the most significant deflationary periods in our lifetimes. Now, what happened during those few months? Uh, it was the beginning of the pandemic. So I think one starting point is to say, if we hate inflation, do we want the opposite of that? Like, you know, what was driving deflation is also the flip side of what's driving inflation right now, which is our economy is now moving back to life. And that means that people are purchasing more goods. And that's largely a good thing. Like, obviously, we want to monitor it and make sure that it doesn't spiral out of control, which it, it as of this taping, there there's no indicator that it has done that. Um, but I think if you peek behind the numbers, it's very clear that this is not Biden's stimulus that's driving this. First of all, most of the stimulus that's hitting the economy right now from the government was uh, stuff that was passed in the Trump administration, because that money's still hitting our economy right now. But Economists look at this as a number called CPI, which is the Consumer Price Index, and that's what they use to track inflation. And 30% of that is coming just from the increase in the price of cars because of the demand for cars and trucks. Now, you you might want to ask your friends this, like, 
like if 30% of this is coming from cars and trucks, like is the contention that the government is buying up all the cars and trucks, right? And that gasoline prices, which is accounting for another huge chunk of the CPI increase, or at least the increase in inflation, like is it the government that's driving that demand or is it just people who are purchasing cars, renting cars, traveling for the first time ever, um, and you know, doing things that we want them to do? I think that this is like a trap that Republicans have, which is the good thing that Biden has helped create in our country, which is life somewhat getting back to normal. They're trying to tag it as a bad thing because the effects of that good thing are that things cost a little bit more. And I think it's just a trap. Also, in general, it's kind of a trap, right? Because in general, the reason that Republicans like to talk about inflation is it's usually a response to wages should go up or money should be spent on you know things that make life better in America. Right. So it, it allows them to say, well, you can't, you can't let wages go up because then things cost more. And then we're like, okay, so you're arguing that things cost more. We'd like wages to go up so people can afford it. And they're like, no, 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 you can't do that because then things might cost more. I mean, right. it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Well, tariffs is another example of this, right? What drives what drives increases in costs? One, one thing is when we tax goods coming in from other countries, which is a huge part of, of Trump's domestic and foreign policy, that drives up the cost of goods. Now, we could have a debate about whether tariffs are good or bad, but if you're going to be pro-tariff, you can't then just turn around and say, it's bad that goods cost more. When we shut our borders from goods coming in from other countries and, and only purchase things that are coming in from the United States, that's going to make them cost more money. And we should own that trade-off. People act like all government spending is going to increase the cost of things. But in reality, this COVID stimulus, because of the nature of how hard life was in America over the past year and a half, 70% of that went to people either paying down debt or putting money into their savings. And that doesn't have any effect on the cost of goods. And so we're talking about a small sliver of government spending was Biden's responsibility. And a small sliver of that is money that people spent on goods anyway. So this is kind of a bullshit argument. All right, Ravi, these next few voicemails are what we're thinking of as sort of the letter to the editor section of uh, of this episode, which is, you know, these aren't necessarily questions for us so much as comments that we find to be pretty helpful about topics we've discussed in the past. And rather than just pretend there are ideas, which don't get me wrong, I considered, uh, but we're just going to go ahead and play them so that the people who said them to us get some credit. Hi, Ravi and Jason. This is Alyssa. I'm a teacher in Maryland. I really enjoyed your podcast about critical race theory as a teacher. You can guess this is a hot topic right now. Um, but I did want to address um, kind of the way you talked about a few things in there that I thought was missing just a little bit of nuance. Um, you were discussing um, some ideas that were brought up as characteristics of white supremacy. Um, I think like things like punctuality and individualism. Um, and what I got from it is that you were saying whatever training or something you had attended, someone was saying, like, being punctual is white supremacy and individualism is white supremacy. Um, and I think that's where there needs to be a little more nuance. Um, from the trainings that I've received and the discussions that I've had, it's not that being punctual is being a white supremacist or being individualistic is a white supremacist. Um, it's when those characteristics are either implicitly or explicitly 
purported to be the right way to exist in the world or in our society, that they become white supremacists because they really are um, based on European norms and they're not the way that everybody in the world exists. Um, I think a lot of this is based on the work of Dr. Tima Okun, um, and she has a, a lot that she's written about cult, uh, characteristics of white supremacy. Hey guys, I'm just listening to your latest episode on Cuomo and I'm hearing you talk about Chinese infrastructure. I've spent about a cumulative year over in China working for different companies, consumer product companies here in the U.S. Um, and over the last 20 years, I think I've made 30 some trips over there. And I will tell you that the image that the average citizen probably has on China is exactly what you were describing. It's rural, it's dated, but the progress in going back to some of the same cities I've seen year over year is mind-blowing. To be on a three-hour drive in 2006 and then have that converted into a 45-minute drive or a train ride is is incredible. And I think that adopting that and convincing people, whether it is guilt that we are being slowly and sorely left behind in the world, but we can also use what they've done to leverage our ability to do it smarter and maybe a little bit more efficient. So I love hearing more about global politics. Um, you know, we are a global society. We are just one of many, 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 many smart nations out there. And I think, uh, frankly, I'd, I'd love to hear talking about setting the ego aside and becoming more global citizens. Have a great one. Love the podcast. Thanks. My name is Michael Leibovitz. I am in Palm Harbor, Florida. I am pretty active politically. I work I on a couple of campaigns. I'm an elected official, uh, precinct captain. And I was really hoping that periodically, instead of you guys responding to all the misinformation, the horrible things that Republicans and Trump are saying and doing, et cetera, that you can shine a light on our accomplishments. I feel like talking to other Democrats is so difficult because everybody is so focused on the things we miss. And, like, we don't highlight all of the amazing things that we've done. And I would really love if you guys, like, once a week could add a corner and it could just be, like, the accomplishment corner. <laughs> and, and it can be, like, you know, this week the administration did this really well, and it was a big win, and, and like, celebrate it. My experience is when we can bring people in on the good stuff, they're a lot more excited, and they become voters, and at least they become a little bit less angry. And I feel like that's the first step. I love this idea. Um, I think not only for you know, raising the morale of other Democrats, but also like, so you have something positive to say to go on offense when people talk to you about, you know, things they're mad at the Democrats about. So Ravi, you want to go first? Uh, just accomplishments. Yeah. You know, in, in part, we've addressed one of them, which is this infrastructure bill. I know we, in, in, in a way we kind of fell into this critique earlier by talking about a criticism of the infrastructure bill. And I think it's important to to air those, but at the same time, Trump every week was Infrastructure Week, and it became a, a source of a joke uh, at a certain point in his presidency. And and Biden is on the cusp of passing 
a pretty big piece of legislation that has a lot of good stuff in it. Uh, and so I think that's a that's a great example of uh, just like what you're talking about, which is we just spent a bunch of time talking about a really important critique of it without, again, coming back to what makes it a really important piece of legislation. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of a conversation I had recently. Um, I was visiting family uh, in New York and we were talking about um, my, you know, the, the part of our family that's here in Kansas City. And, and at my generation, we all have young kids. And my family in New York was saying, but don't, I mean, there's like a public preschool where you can send kids, right? And I'm like, no, 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 we don't. We don't have that. And they're like, what? And it just, to me, was an example of it, it's important not only to celebrate the accomplishments, but when there are accomplishments by Democrats in states other than yours, it is useful to point out to people like, hey, this is a thing that Democrats are doing in other states. Wouldn't it be cool if we if we could like actually side with the Democrats on this and do it here? Wouldn't it be cool if you could send your I mean, daycare is and, and preschool are crazy expensive. So, I mean, to me, that was one example. Well, to our friend in Florida. We think that's a swell idea. So thank you so much uh, for proposing it. And, you know, maybe we'll revive uh, from time to time the award section and just make it about, you know, celebrating something good that Democrats have done. I think that's a, a great idea. All right. This was fun. Thank you to everybody who left a voicemail. Feel free to stop what you're doing right now and leave us a voicemail with the burning question or comment that you have, and we may get to it in a future episode. You can call 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. Our show is at Majority54 on Twitter, and you can now see segments of the show on Wonder Media Network's YouTube channel. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. And special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard Professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.